Good morning. Before we uh, begin our next case, I'd like to extend a special welcome to Judge Allegra Collins from the Court of Appeals in her uh, judicial writing class from Campbell. Uh, welcome to each of you. Our next case is State versus Lancaster. Justice Dietz is recused in this case, and we will hear from the appellant. Thank you, Your Honors, and may it please the court. My name is Zachary Dunn, uh, here on behalf of the state in this matter. Since at least early 14th century England, the common law crime of going armed to the terror of the public included no requirement that the crime be committed about the public highways. The question in this case is whether the Court of Appeals erred in concluding that this court, sub silencio, rewrote the common law and added about the public highways as an essential element in its 1968 opinion in State versus Dawson. In short, it didn't, and this court should reverse the decision of the Court of Appeals. About the public highways is not an essential element of going armed to the terror of the public. Uh, and the Court of Appeals reached the opposite conclusion through a mis misunderstanding of Dawson in its own 1977 opinion in State versus Staten. Before going to the few number of cases specifically about going armed to the terror of the public, I would like to address a few affray cases uh, because this court has held in Woody uh, and others uh, that going armed to the terror of the public is a type of affray. It's a special type of affray that, you know, usually an affray involves two or more people, uh, but this court has held that going armed to the terror of the public is an affray that can be done with just one person. Um, uh, I would point this court to Enri May. Um, it's a 2003 case from this court, and it says uh, the types of public locales uh, that an affray can take place. Uh, the first is uh, places generally considered by the uh, public by nature, uh, including roads, streets, highways, sidewalks, shopping malls, apartment complexes, parks, and commons. And the second type is private property uh, that is situated near enough to public thoroughfares that citizens using such thoroughfares could bear witness to the altercation. So again, these are not going armed to the terror cases specifically. However, they are fray cases and set up this dichotomy uh, of two types of public locations um, where an affray can take place. Of course, in our case, uh, the evidence tended to show that uh, the crime was committed in a parking lot. Uh, and I believe it's an apartment complex parking lot. Uh, and so under you know, this court's affray jurisprudence, uh, Henri May and Woody, um, certainly um, apartment complexes uh, are included in one type of public place and um, private property that is situated near enough to public thoroughfares such as uh, an apartment complex uh, driveway or parking lot uh, would also fit into that definition. Um, so, you know, moving on from the, the, the fray jurisprudence and getting into uh, the going armed to the terror of the public jurisprudence, um, you know, there are really three critical cases at issue, uh, being Dawson uh, from this court, Staten from the Court of Appeals, uh, and then uh, this court's subsequent opinion in Rambert, and I'd like to walk through uh, each of them if I could. So Dawson is, um, the first case, and it's, it's a horrible case, it's about a KKK member 
or sympathizer who um, was uh, vandalizing an African-American man's property, uh, but he was eventually charged with going armed to the terror of the public. Uh, and then, you know, in, in that case, this court held uh, the indictment uh, may not be as detailed uh, as, as, you know, had been in other cases, but it was sufficient. And the, the, use, the words that this court used were uh, that the bill of indictment charges all of the essential elements of the crime and included as one of those elements this court held was um, thus armed he went about the public highways of the county. Um, so certainly that is in this court's case law, that's Dawson. Uh, we would say that Dawson did not mean to insert uh, a new essential element into a 600 or so year old uh, common law crime. Uh, rather, uh, the court was using inexact language to simply state what was in the bill of indictment in that specific case. Uh, that case did take place about the public highways. Um, so that would be our submission on Dawson. Um, and since the state's uh, evidence tended to show uh, what was charged in the indictment had happened, uh, the, the defendant in that case was ultimately convicted. Um, but here's where the Court of Appeals erred in Staten. Um, interpreting Dawson, the Court of Appeals held without any further discussion that, enumerating, that this court was enumerating the four essential elements to charge the common law offense of going armed to the terror of the public. Again, we believe, you know, going back to Dawson, uh, the, the opinion in that case, the reasoning in that case, there was no discussion of adding an, a new essential element. There was no uh, discussion of why, you know, going armed to the terror of the public could take place in, you know, any public place uh, generally and historically, but here had to, now had to take place about the public highways. Um, there was no discussion about, you know, the affray jurisprudence and, and distinguishing this from, from the careful dichotomy that the court set up uh, in Inri May, um, nothing like, of course, Inri May um, is subsequent to, uh, to Dawson, but that, that case law had been around for some time. Um, so we really believe uh, that Staunton Staten misread Dawson, um, and this court should simply clarify uh, that in Dawson it was not intending to add an essential element to the offense, uh, and that about the public highways is not an essential element of going armed to the terror of the public. Can I ask you a question about Dawson? Is it your position that if Dawson intended to add that element or overrule this court's prior case, it would have need cases it would have needed to have done so explicitly? I'm in particular, looking at State v. Lanier from 1874, where this common law um, crime, uh, the, the, this court had no issue with the fact that this man was riding his horse through a courthouse, which is obviously not a public highway. And so I guess my question for you is, is it your position that Dawson would have had to explicitly overrule Lanier to add that element if that was what this court intended to do? I think, I think so. Um, in part just because there was no discussion at all of overruling either the common law or that case. And as you know, I was going to get to later, but I'm happy to, uh, to mention it now, is um, the, uh, the subsequent case, which is um, um, Rambert. And in Rambert, again, there was no discussion of the essential elements, 
but this court laid out the facts of that case, and the facts of those cases established that the crime of going armed to the terror of the public occurred uh, in a, uh, either a driveway or a parking lot, which is the same thing that we have here. Um, so it would be really odd in our, in our view for, like you said, the earlier case to allow that to happen not on the public highway, a later case in 1977 um, saying nothing about the offense happening in a parking lot, but then this court sub silencio adding that essential element uh, without saying a word of reasoning about it uh, in Dawson. Um, so, you know, whether this court had to explicitly overrule its prior holdings, um, I suppose that's for this court to decide. Uh, but, but, you know, we think the better reading of Dawson and all of the other uh, precedents is simply that this court never meant to add that essential element uh, as part of the crime. So that, you know, that's our, our, our principal submission, that Staten incorrectly relied on Dawson in that it treated a permissible uh, condition that the terror in the case occurred about the public highways. That's certainly uh, somewhere in public where this crime could occur, but uh, it treated a permissible condition as a necessary condition that must happen about the public highways. So uh, our first submission would be simply for your honors to uh, clarify the case law and, and hold that Dawson did not uh, add an essential element and, and therefore uh, that would nece necessitate reversing the decision of the Court of Appeals. Um, even if your honors believe that about the public highways is an essential element of the crime, um, uh, the facts of this case satisfy that element. Uh, the indictment listed the, the location of the crime as 326 McCotter Boulevard apartments, which are in Havelock, uh, and the Court of Appeals reasoned that this location was not a public highway uh, for the purposes of charging defendant with the crime, uh, and therefore found that the indictment was defective. However, you know, the, the key phrase, if it is an essential element, is about the public highways, not on the public highways. And so we've, we've cited to the dictionary definition uh, of about, you know, it includes um, reasonably close to, almost, or in the vicinity. Uh, but I would also point your, your honors to, again, to Henri May, uh, which said, you know, the two types of public places. Um, one of those uh, is roads, streets, highways, sidewalks, apartment complexes, parks and commons, and then also private property that is so close to public thoroughfares that you know, they can see um, that the um, public could bear witness to the altercation. So both the dictionary definition and this court's precedent in the affray cases, um, if your honors believe that about the public highways is an essential element, uh, we think go in our favor showing that uh, naming the uh, apartment complex uh, and the specific location is sufficient uh, and is not a fatally defective indictment uh, such that uh, this court could simply hold that um, that, that element uh, was sufficiently charged in the indictment here. Um, so those are, those are our two primary submissions. We do have a third uh, argument uh, for your honors, which is you know, in, in the event that your honors believe that about the public highways is an essential element and that the uh, indictment did not sufficiently plead that element, um, that 
this court should adopt the view that indictment defects are not jurisdictional. Um, we have that fully briefed. I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions your honors have on that, but there's a more extensive briefing in a case that's coming up later this year um, on that issue. Uh, but of course, we stand by the argument and, and I'm happy to answer any questions that your honors have about it. But unless there are any questions. Uh, I, I have a question. Yes, um, so thinking about some of our more recent indictment cases, like perhaps JU, are, are we reaching a point where um, any indictment that's sufficient to satisfy due process would be one that we would say would confer jurisdiction? I think that's right, Your Honor. That's certainly our argument. Um, to be clear, this court has held many times that indictment defects are jurisdictional. Um, and it was really based on the Inri Bain case from the Supreme Court from, I believe, uh, the United States Supreme Court from, I believe, the 19th century. Um, but the United States Supreme Court overruled that approach in Inri Cotton in 2002. Um, and so, you know, talking about Inri J.U., um, Old Royd, I believe is how you say it, uh, all those other more recent cases, uh, we would argue that uh, an indictment defect uh, does, not, um, does not divest uh, the court of jurisdiction, um, and that's just not how we use the term subject matter jurisdiction in this day and age. But stare decisis is you know, very important to this court. Absolutely. Um, I just wonder if, you know, if we've gotten to a point where whatever will satisfy due process we would say would confer jurisdiction, then what is the point of, of maintaining that view that um, indictment defects are jurisdictional? To be candid, Your Honor, we would say that there is no, there, there is no uh, rational point in, in doing that. We, we would argue to jettison that rule. Of course, uh, you know, a defendant is fully able, if, if they believe at the trial court, uh, if they believe that the indictment is not uh, sufficient to, to file some sort of motion, you know, at that point, there's been no trial, there's been no conviction, there's been no appeal, uh, and, you know, it can be fixed uh, through a new indictment, a superseding indictment, uh, dismissal of the charges, and then, you know, re-indictment, something like that. Um, but the way that the jurisprudence has, has really come about, you know, there's no need to raise an indictment defect issue at the trial court because if you, if you are convicted and you lose on your appeal, you can then even, you know, years later, because it's subject matter jurisdiction, it can't be waived at any time for any reason, um, uh, can bring up in a motion for appropriate relief or, or otherwise and, and get a conviction vacated because of a lack of subject matter jurisdiction. Um, so our, our argument in this case and in, it was a, uh, an argument we made in JU and it's a, an argument, actually I'll be arguing uh, later in November, uh, is, is to abandon the common law uh, jurisdictional approach to indictments. Again, we don't think that this court needs to get there in this case. Uh, we think we have winning arguments both on, um, on, you know, about the public highways not being the central element, and even if it is, it was sufficiently pled in this case. Uh, but it is, uh, a, a, I guess, tertiary argument that we raised in this case in a way um, for uh, you to reverse the, the Court of Appeals. 
And do you think we can apply that retroactively? I think so. Um, I can't think of any reason why it wouldn't apply retroactively. Uh, whether you mean retroactively as in other cases that have already been decided or you mean this specific case. In this case, so you know, at the time of trial, at least the rule was that um, in, uh, deficiencies in the indictment are jurisdictional. Can we now say, nope, we've changed um, this long-standing rule in this state and we're going to apply it to this defendant who at the time he was tried wasn't tried under that rule? I, I think you could. Um, I'm aware of no precedent saying, saying that, that your honors couldn't. However, uh, if your honors wanted to announce the new rule and then you know, say it's, it's not retroactive but it's you know, going forward, this is the new rule, um, that's certainly something that the court could do as well. So you think there's no ex post facto concerns raised by the fact that um, prior to this point in time, a defendant would be able to raise a subject matter jurisdiction objection to an indictment at any time. If we announce the rule, they can't anymore. That's a really good question, Your Honor. I, you know, we haven't briefed it. I haven't thought about it. That might, that might be a concern. Of course, that wouldn't stop this court from announcing the rule going forward. Um, as I'm standing here, I can't represent the state's position on whether that would be an ex post facto violation, though, but that, that is certainly a, a concern, um, I would say. Do you have any idea what uh, the Supreme Court of the United States did when they uh, announced Cotton? Yeah, so in Cotton, the United States Supreme Court... With um, regard to the retroactive... Oh, I, I'm not sure about that, Your Honor. I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize. Uh, I'm not sure what they did with respect to retroactivity in that case. Unless there are any further questions on any of the three issues, we'd simply ask the court reverse. Thank you, counsel. Thank you. We'll hear from the appellee. Uh, good morning, uh, may it please the court. My name is Craig Cooley. I am here on Darren Lancaster's behalf, uh, and I'll start where the state started with talking about Dawson. It needs to be emphasized that before the Court of Appeals, the state clearly cited Dawson as legitimate law. If you look at uh, page five and six of their response to my motion for appropriate relief, bottom of page five, quote, the common law charge of going armed to the terror of the public has four essential elements. And they list those four elements, one being, quote, by going on or about the public highway of the county. And they cite Dawson. And their whole argument before the Court of Appeals was, Dawson's legitimate. Why? Because it, here's the four elements. And this indictment is valid because we satisfy those four elements because the, the parking lot at 326 McCotter Boulevard is a public highway. Now we're swapping horses. <laughs> now the whole argument is, well, we did cite that. The state of North Carolina did in fact endorse Dawson before the Intermediate Court of Appeals. Here though, you know, upon further review, we're gonna backtrack. And I just wanna point that out, that they didn't seem to have a problem with Dawson when they thought the indictment was valid. Now that the indictment is invalid, or at least the Court of Appeals held, the majority held, including Judge Justice Dietz, now they're saying, well, let's look 
at Dawson more closely. And we can. Let's look at Dawson closely. And if you look at Dawson, uh, it does. It, it goes through a historical analysis of, you know, it talks about Huntley. Now, again, it's count 50 in the Dawson opinion. And there's, there's page after page going, talking about the common law, talking about, like, the statute of Edward III, and, you know, talk about Sir John Knight's case. And they do this detailed history, and they, there's a lot of discussion about the Second Amendment sort of intertwined to this issue. But again, at the very end, you had the majority, which was six justices. There was a dissenting justice, and I'll get to the dissent. But the, the majority did not accidentally incorporate an element. I'm trying to figure out how a collective group of seven can go into the back room to draft opinions and accidentally incorporate something. I'm assuming you send around drafts of the opinion and you make, you know, you make notes. Do we want to incorporate this? You know, what, aren't we, are we in fact holding that this is an essential element when it says, you know, the essential elements of the crime are one, two, three, four. Dawson didn't accidentally do this. Just I'm assuming when this court writes an opinion, you don't accidentally incorporate something. There are deliberations, I'm assuming. Counsel, I'm, yes. I'm sorry. In, in discussion of the essential elements, though, are, are, they, are they talking about the indictment here, or are they setting out a new rule? They're talking about the elements of going armed to the terror of the public. Right, but, but in, in the, as I recall in Dawson, the analysis deals um, a, a, a great deal with um, a public place, right? And, and then they discuss the indictment at issue here satisfies the elements, and, and then they go through the indictment. Is, am I missing something with Dawson? No, no. You're, they talk about the whole argument in Dawson was, is this, you know, a valid offense? And the court walked through the history of this offense in count 50. Again, they talked about all the historical stuff that Mr. Dunn talked about uh, in the state's argument as to why you know, Dawson got it wrong. But that's my point. It, all this history is discussed in Dawson. Yet at the very end, in its, one of its concluding paragraphs, it identifies the quote-unquote essential elements of this offense. Well, but, but it says it, the indictment, it says it charges all the essential elements. Now, yeah. if, if, but if an indictment, uh, if you're required to allege facts to support the elements of the indictment, why isn't going uh, about a public highway, why couldn't that be surplusage? In other words, they have alleged a public place, a public highway. So why, why isn't that um, an essential element, the public place, and the public highway surplusage? Um, pardon my confusion. I'm, I'm not following what you're, you're saying. The use of the word or the phrase public highway is uh, superfluous, or I'm not, I'm not following what you're trying to what your point is. Well, the, the case law that, that the court goes through, right, the yep. history, uh, they say the question uh, in this case is whether he has a right to bear arms to the terror of the people. And then the, the court goes on to say the right to keep and bear arms um, no more gives an individual the right to arm himself in order to prowl the highways or public places to the terror of the people, right? So, so if an indictment requires someone to allege sufficient facts, 
to support the elements of a crime. Why couldn't you say, or why isn't it, that uh, this statement uh, towards the end, it charges all the essential elements, the indictment, charges all the essential elements of the crime, that is, that the defendant armed himself with an unusual and dangerous weapon for the unlawful purpose of terrorizing the people of Alamance County, and thus armed, he went about the public highway, public area, uh, surplusage, in a manner to cause terror to the people. So, uh, let me, are you suggesting had he not gone on a public highway they, that they would have sustained it? Well, the facts of Dawson are that he was on a public highway. He was on a public highway. Right, so, so if you are required to allege facts to support the essential elements, right, um, why isn't the allegation of a fact here uh, not go necessarily going to the element, uh, but going to just the underlying facts of the case? The essential, well, <laughs> the way they would word it, I guess, is the way the court identified, I'm again, I'm trying to follow what you're saying. You're saying the fact that he was on a public highway is the fact of the case, but you're saying because, simply because that's a fact of the case doesn't mean it's an essential element that limits this, where this crime can occur. Is that what you're saying? Right, I mean, the, the whole case goes, up, goes through this analysis of public place. Okay. And the allegation of a public highway is just a, a factual um, um, a fact being put forth as to why it's a public place. I, to answer your question, honestly, I look, read the dissent in Dawson. And Justice Lake, I mean, I think it's quite telling because even Justice Lake believes there's a public highway component. Now, again, I'll just quote from the dissent. Uh, you know, this is page uh, 36, so... Uh, yeah, Dawson's 272, North Carolina 535, and the dissent, quote, in my view of the law of this state, it is quite material whether the defendant is charged with some act while bearing arms upon the highway or with the mere bearing of arms upon the highway. That's twice his emphasis on the highway, but that's not the most important paragraph in the dissent. The dissent says this on the... Uh, Next page, basically it says, Huntley, quote unquote, decided by this court, uh, establishes that in 1843, the common law of North Carolina made it a criminal offense for one armed with unusual and dangerous weapons to go upon the public highway and there by threats of murder, cause of terror to the people. Again, I'm trying to, Huntley and Dawson both dealt with public highway. Those are the essential elements. And what you're saying is because we don't, we've never addressed a case where there's another public place where this has happened, it's not an essential element or it's just right. pregnant? Just because those two cases involve public highways doesn't mean that's an essential element, that, that it be a public highway. It has to be a public place. Well, and I would say, well, I, it could, why didn't they just say that? It's a public place. Like, but, you, could, you could say, like, when you're writing an opinion, you could say, well, you know, if we put this in here, somebody could interpret, like, you needed to be on a public highway. I'm assuming when courts write opinions, they're, they're thinking this out. Like, if we write public highway, someone's going to interpret this like Staten did. Like, can't you, wouldn't the justices of that bench say it's a public place? We want to emphasize. We can put in a footnote 
Like, hey, yes, this is on a public highway, but we're not limiting it to public highway. That's not there. So we're speculating about what seven justices did in 1968. I'm simply saying they could have done what you're talking about, and they didn't. So I'm assuming, I mean, using roles of statutory construction, if they excluded it, I'm assuming it was a purposeful exclusion. They didn't limit it. They said specifically public highway. What, what do you, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, what do you um, make of the, the dissent's uh, argument concerning Rambert? Rambert? That, 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 that clearly did not involve a public highway. It did not. The argument in Rambert is what the state's arguing in Dawson. Da I mean, they're saying, well, no, they, well, no, in Huntley, I should say. In Huntley, they're saying, well, no, Huntley never specifically articulated these elements. Right? So there's silence. Rambert, that issue wasn't before the court in Rambert. Rambert, the issue in Rambert was the trial court mischaracterized the offense as a felony so, so instead as of I, a misdemeanor. As I understand the, the dissent's argument, well, it, it may not have been presented in Rambert, but it's subject matter jurisdiction, and we have an obligation in every case to make sure there's subject matter jurisdiction, and surely we're aware of uh, that uh, you know Dawson and, and and company, and so the fact that we didn't say there was a subject matter jurisdiction problem uh, means there wasn't one. I would respectfully disagree. I just I don't think the issue was there. I think it was a single issue, and this court briefs issues that are raised, like Rule 16. This is the other, this is where I'm veering toward the uh, new argument that the state raised, but. In Rambert, the single issue was, did they mischaracterize it as a felony instead of a misdemeanor? All right. You know, I'm the appellant a lot of times, and a lot of times I lose cases because I didn't raise a specific claim, and the court's not going to decide it. That would be my argument in Rambert. Rambert is, I agree, it's, it was in a parking lot, but if you look at my argument, you know, look at the motor vehicle code, a public parking lot, you know, it's it's not a public highway, and but yes, it happened in a Piggly Wiggly's parking lot in, in Rambert. But again, my, I would emphasize it simply was not before the court, and the court did not address it. And it, I mean that sort of leads to my later argument. I'll get I'll stay on task here. I'll focus on. I think Dawson was correctly decided. Obviously, the court can reconsider it and be more specific if it, I mean if the public highway is not an essential element as I interpret it and as you know Staten interpreted it and applied it uh, obviously you can overrule and, but we think it's correct uh, the fact that we think it's correct uh, we think this, the Court of Appeals majority got it right that you know if you look at other cases where they've defined what a public highway is a privately owned parking lot you know, is, is not a public highway. And I, I don't think uh, there's any dispute in that. With, in terms of my, the cases I cited, in terms of sticking with what Judge Dillon wrote at the Court of Appeals, uh, I would stick with those arguments. And like I said, but I think the bigger issue for the court is, was Dawson correctly decided? Uh, I would like to address you know, what the court and the state 
discussed toward the end of the state's argument was this you know, remedy claim that was not part of the dissent and it was not part of the notice of appeal. Again, it's a separate claim. And you know, under Rule 16, right, the court can hear claims that are part of the dissent. And if you look at the dissent, like Justice Allen said, the dissent simply focused on whether the indictment was valid. And it did. It said, well, Rambert issued this opinion. And in Rambert, this is in a Piggly Wiggly parking lot, ergo, you know, the uh, indictment is valid. And the court has jurisdiction. So there's no discussion whatsoever in the dissent regarding, OK, what's the remedy if it is an invalid uh, indictment? And uh, the dissent could have, just Judge Griffin could have you know, articulated that. Said, oh, by the way, let's look at Chief Justice Martin's dissent in Rankin. And let's go with that. But it wasn't. It was simply a narrow dissenting opinion. And when the state filed notice of appeal, that's, that was the notice of appeal. We disagree. This is a valid indictment. It, it conferred jurisdiction to the trial court. There was no discussion whatsoever regarding a remedy claim. And now we're talking about ex post facto, which I didn't brief. I mean, this is, it's an important claim, don't get me wrong, but it was already addressed five years ago. And when Chief Justice Martin raised it like sua sponte, because I pulled the ranking briefs, ranking briefs in front of this court, nobody in that case argued what Chief Justice Rankin, I mean, Chief Justice Martin was arguing, and the majority pointed that out. That was five years ago. We have a decision under the court's rule to supervisory capacity. You can exercise that. I know defendants ask that all the time, but if you look at how it's applied, you know, it's in rare cases. And you know, it has to be, there has to be no decision made regarding an important issue. And we have a decision. It's in Rankin. And the majority rejected Chief uh, Justice Martin's interpretation. And so that was five years ago. Nothing's changed in five years. That would be my position. I, I just don't think it's before the court. And it sounds like it, the court is going to consider it in another case. So I would respectfully ask that the court address that in that other case where it's fully briefed and you can, if you want to get amicus you want to uh, I guess I just I made a waiver argument it simply was not part of the notice of appeal it wasn't part of any litigation claims before, uh, <clears throat> before the court of appeals or even the notice of appeal I'm sorry and and it's not jurisdictional simply I know in the state's uh, reply brief commenting on my brief, on uh, Mr. Lancaster's brief, the state was like made a tit for tat argument. Well, the defendants get to do this all the time, so we should be able to do this. And that's not, no, when the defendants make that rule, we, we attach it to an applicable role of appellate procedure. We're just not saying, well, defendant, the state gets to do this, so can we. Right? There are roles of procedure that the state could have used. I mean, I've had cases before the court I've, uh, where I've had a dissent, and, uh, but I wanted an additional issue to be considered, so I filed a PDR, and that PDR was granted. So now I had three claims that were provided via the dissent, and then I had a fourth claim via PDR. The state could have PDR'd it, 
They didn't. They could have put it in their notice of appeal. They didn't. So that's my point. I think we're getting a little bit far off the path of what this case is about. And this case is simply about, A, what are the essential elements of going armed to the terror of the public? And if we know those essential elements, whether the indictment in this case articulated sufficient facts to establish each essential element of uh, that, that crime. Our position is, and the Court of Appeals agreed, that it wasn't. I, I have a, a follow-up yeah. about that. Um, so <clears throat> did, would you agree that prior to Dawson going uh, or being on a public highway was not an element of going armed to the terror of the public? Yeah, I can see that. If you look at the history, yes, I don't, yeah, I will make that concession because I have to. Because if you, if you read all the common law statutes, the old statutes, there so, is really no distinction. Now, if you, uh, the argument I made in the brief is the emphasis on the word going and riding. You know, statutory interpretation type argument is like when you're talking about someone going and riding to the terror of the public, you could reasonably argue that this crime is for, it, I, it, it's a non-stationary crime. Like in a fray, generally, if you look in a fray, a fray is a fight, right? You, a fight is a sort of a stationary encounter. When you look at the case law of you know, this, this offense, going or riding armed to the terror of the public, it's people are going from point A to point B with guns and weapons and no. So, so I, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get at is um, why should we look at Dawson as importing an element, if, if we're thinking about it from a, from a policy standpoint? So, so why would we be concerned about um, going armed to the terror of the public on a highway but not in a parking lot? I think po policy issues, I think you already have offenses there that could, could have been charged could have charged in the fray, I mean, in a fray. You could have charged, like, he was simply in a parking lot with a handgun, with the allegation. Well, let me put it differently. Is that, um, right? If that wasn't an element of the offense prior to Dawson, why did this court make it one, do you think? Wait, rephrase that. What you're asking. So, so if the on a public highway was not an element of the offense prior to Dawson, and, and you're asking us to read Dawson as as making it an element of the offense, can you? Why would we have done that? Why would we have added that element to the offense? Well, Huntley had it as is a fact in the case. Huntley. I, I agree with the state. Huntley is it's a, not a well-written opinion. It's, it's 1843. But Huntley, in the indictment, it is alleged that Mr. Huntley is on the public highways. So I believe, if you're asking that question, I believe they put a lot of stock in that fact, is that you know, Huntley is somewhat similar to this. Because Mr. Dawson and his cohorts uh, from the KKK would, were going about and riding whatnot on the public highways to uh, create havoc and terrorize people. So that would be my answer. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why the seven justices in 1968 
wrote it that way. And I, again, I, I'll just revert back to what I said. If they wanted to limit it, they could have put a footnote. Because you see that all the time in opinions is, you know, yes, this, the indictment's valid, but it's a public highway, but let's footnote it. So we make sure litigants know moving forward that this is more, it's not as narrow as a public highway. It could be in a church. It could be in you know, someone's house, because I believe there's a case they talk about someone went riding into a woman's house. So that, to answer your question, I think they maybe put a lot of stock into what Huntley was arguing, the facts in Huntley. But again, if you go with the, just the, the name of the crime, going and riding, how do you go and ride? For the most part, you're using public highways, right? Am I going? If I'm in a parking lot standing with a gun, am I going anywhere? Right? Why do they call it going and riding to the terror of the public? I think that's, that's my point and one of the points I made in my argument is that you don't add words to a crime that are superfluous. Right? The crime is, yeah, they ultimately ended up at a woman's house, but to get from point A to point B, they used the public highways and they're like ranting and raving. They have these weapons and whatnot. And that is a component of the offense. They're going. They're not standing there brandishing a firearm, terrorizing people, right? That would be my argument as to maybe that's why they emphasized public highway and did not footnote it or narrow, uh, make it more broad uh, in Dawson. But again, I. My time is running short here. Uh, again, I believe Dawson's correct. Court is more than welcome to revisit Dawson. I believe the, val the indictment, as the majority held, uh, did not, is it, it's invalid. It's, it's fatally defective, as we like to say in, in the case law. And because of that defect, the trial court did not have jurisdiction. And I just don't think the court has the right to address the remedy claim that the state incorporated into its brief because I don't believe it's properly before the court. And it sounds like the court will soon address that issue in another case. And I would just ask that it be so in that case. But if the court has no other additional questions, uh, I'll let the state have some rebuttal time. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Rebuttal. Yes, Your Honor. May it please the court. Thank you. Just a few uh, quick points on rebuttal. Um, Justice Allen, to your question, you know, why would we wor be worried about going armed to the terror of the public on a highway but not in a parking lot? I think that's exactly our point. We, you know, there's no reason, if we're worried about people going armed to the terror of the public, there's no principled reason why we would be worried about it in one place that's a public place but not in other places. Um, and that's, you know, another question that you had, why would we have added, why would this of court have added the element um, on its own? Uh, our argument is that it, it didn't. Uh, it used, uh, the Dawson court used inexact language um, because it was talking about, you know, the specific facts of that case. It did say it was an essential element um, down at the, at the very end of the opinion. But uh, it was really couched in terms of, of what the bill of indictment in that case said and what the facts of that case were. Um, uh, you know, the same thing 
uh, with Huntley. Uh, Huntley mentions public highways because that crime took place on a public highway. Uh, but I will note uh, in Huntley, uh, it also um, cited Blackstone, um, which simply says, the offense of riding or going armed with dangerous or unusual weapons is a crime against the public peace by terrifying the good of people of the land. So that's Huntley citing Blackstone and not mentioning a highway at all in its definition of, of, of the crime. Um, so again, we would just simply ask uh, your honors to clarify uh, that Dawson did not add an essential element uh, of, about the public highways uh, to the common law offense of going armed to the terror of the public. Happy to answer any questions, but otherwise I'll just ask the court to reverse. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Thank you both. Mr. Clark.